What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Stick to Hockey podcast. Jason Martinez and Joe Torty. Glad to be here with you again for another week. And we've got a little something different planned this week. But before we get into that, let's uh, take a look ahead and uh, take, first of all, a look at what we've got going on coming up. Obviously, we're here. August is here already. Can't believe it. It's unbelievable that this has already come up. And it feels like the summer just started and the season's right around the corner. Could not be more excited for hockey. It's going to be a fantastic year for a lot of different reasons. We're really looking forward to everything getting underway across the National Hockey League. Now, a couple things that we've got coming up in the coming weeks. We've had a lot of people request the uh, fantasy segment or the fantasy aspect be addressed. Uh, Say no more. We've heard your concerns, and we're going to bring on none other than uh, the NHL's very own Pete Jensen, who's their fantasy analyst for NHL.com. He will be our guest coming up on a podcast very shortly. He'll have uh, the answers to all of your fantasy questions. So if you want to get any of those in ahead of time, of course, you can reach out and interact with the podcast on Twitter at Stick2HockeyPod. And of course, you can reach Jason and myself at Joe Tordy, T-O-R-D-Y, and at Jason Mert. And uh, we're really looking forward to getting into the fantasy stuff. In addition, we're going to project a little bit more. We're going to take a look at our power rankings. Jason and I are going to each give our uh, divisional predictions, our conference predictions, and we might even get into uh, who's going to take down the thing this year again. So we've got a lot coming up in the next couple of weeks here in particular. So in light of that, uh, we really want to thank everybody who's been listening Uh, to the podcast and sharing it and everything else. It's been fantastic. Really glad that that you guys have been able to do that. Now, the one thing here that we have for this week's episode is that there have been a lot of people uh, who have come on for the last two episodes and don't want to go back to the very beginning and listen to everything and um, every single episode that we've had. Now, while we'd love you to go ahead and do that, we understand sometimes this stuff does not necessarily uh, remain, you know, time relevant. We understand that it's a fast-moving league, it's a fast-moving sport, so oftentimes the information that you get is outdated, but sometimes that's not always the case. So if you're looking ahead and saying, hey, you know, the stuff that we talked about back in early July, it still applies here, right? So what we've done is we've put together, before we really get into the meat of the season and, and starting off in our predictions and power rankings and fantasy and everything like that. This episode is uh, going to serve for those of you who are new as a, uh, a catch up episode. It's going to be your crash course in the stick to hockey podcast. And it's going to let you know, all right, this is what these guys have done so far. These are the guests that we've had. It's going to kind of be a, a mish- mismatch of uh, all of the different guests that we've had who've graced the podcast. So we've had current NHL players like flyers, goaltender, Brian Elliott. Uh, we've got, Former players, Hall of Famers, coaches, sometimes all rolled into one. We've got Penguins assistant coach Mark Recchi on. Anthony Mingione, who really takes you inside Philadelphia's farm system and what they did during their training camp. We have had some really, really cool guests here. And uh, we're, we're really excited to continue to do more. You guys are letting us do that. But always continue, please, if you haven't already, to uh, rate us and uh, let us know what we should be doing. If you give us ratings on iTunes and obviously you listen to us on Wildfire Radio, uh, we're on Stitcher. And, of course, if you uh, have any big business inquiries, you can reach out to us at sticktohockeybiz at gmail.com, sticktohockeybiz at gmail.com. 
So that's what we're going to do. We're going to catch you up on uh, the guests that we've had thus far. There have been some really, really good ones, and we're looking forward to blowing it out. If you think that we've had some big names here like Brian Boucher and uh, Dave Isaac and some of these other guys, you haven't seen anything yet, right? So you haven't seen anything yet. So we're really looking forward to what's to come. Until then, uh, we'll talk to you next week. And for now, enjoy uh, the guests that we've had already. Catch you next time, guys. And we're here with our general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers, Ron Hextall. Ron, I know it's been a busy couple of days for you, so we appreciate you taking a few minutes for us today. No, it's a pleasure. Ron, let's get right into it here because uh, it's, been, it's been hectic, obviously, with the expansion draft, things that you normally don't have to deal with as a general manager. This is one of those off-seasons that uh, has its own uh, kind of uh, DNA of it. Uh, talk to us first about the, uh, the expansion draft process and kind of how that altered your off-season and the way you guys approach things. Yeah, everybody was trying to figure out, you know, who they were going to lose, and in the end, nobody really knew. I think uh, we all knew there were some deals out there, so it's hard to project uh, the type of players that are going to be involved in those deals um, that Vegas is taking. So, you know, we all go through the mock drafts and try and figure it out, and in the end, uh, it wasn't very fruitful. So, uh, but there is preparation there. We were actually in a pretty good spot with expansion, certainly a lot better spot than than other teams. Uh, we did not want to give away a future asset to, to protect players. So um, we just left our guys out there, and, and obviously they picked Belly. Yeah, and uh, you lose some leadership in your locker room there. And uh, but, but obviously, you know, maybe it's a chance for some teams to reset. But let's look ahead to the draft because that was the kind of uh, the crown apple of this offseason. When you look at it, you guys move all the way up to the number two pick with that 2.4% chance, and you're on the record saying, you know, you were shocked by uh, the ability to move up that far in the draft and what a lot of people deemed as a two-player draft. Uh, going into that process, of uh, getting to the draft and kind of looking at both of those players, both Nico Heischer and now uh, Nolan Patrick, who you end up drafting. Uh, what was that process like in, in looking at these two players and the differences and similarities in their game? Well, it was, it was easier for us, obviously, than New Jersey because we felt like one of them one of them was going to fall to us. In saying that, um, you know, there were some other players out there. There were some other players that certainly could have been considered, and we actually heard that. New Jersey was considering somebody else at one, so we uh, we had to do our due diligence in case both both of the forwards were were on the uh, board there. And you know, with Nolan, I mean, there's the hockey player, and then there's you want to get to know the character of the person. Um, and then there was the injury stuff that we had to, to sift through. So we got through it all, and in the end, felt comfortable that uh, Nolan was obviously a good player, which we knew. Um, Getting to know the kid felt like his character was real good, and then the injury thing, we had our medical team work through, and we were comfortable with uh, the findings. Well, when you look at those findings, and uh, we're talking with Ron Hextall, Flyers general manager, he dealt with the, the, the sports hernia issue this year. Is that something that can reoccur? Is that something that you guys found, okay, this is kind of – these are it's not necessarily a rare hockey injury, but it's not a ligament or a damage to a knee or something like that. Is that something that maybe made you feel a little bit more comfortable? Yeah, the sports hernias are, you know, it happens to a lot of guys. The surgery is, uh, is, is good nowadays. So again, we, we weren't, we weren't too concerned, um, about it. Um, but we did want to do our due diligence and make sure that everything checked out to the satisfaction of our medical team. When you look at the player in Nolan Patrick, what does he bring to this, uh, organization? Obviously, it's a big jump up from where you guys were, maybe accelerates things in, the, in some people's minds to get a player at the 
top of the draft, uh, considering where you are uh, in the pecking order of the NHL. What can he bring to this uh, this organization, both short and long term? Well, Nolan's a, he's a big body. Um, he protects the puck well. He's hard on the puck. Um, he's got he's got a high skill level. He's got good vision. Um, re- really sees the ice and delivers passes. He's got a scoring touch. Um, you know, he's got some physical play in there. Uh, it's not something that he does every shift, but it is in there. Um, so he's a he's a package size skill package that that we're extremely excited about. When you looked really looked closely at his game, were you surprised at the skill uh, in the hands and that he possesses at his size and and certainly at his age? Well, it's you know when you're when you're going high in the draft, that's typically the type of players that that you're getting. Uh, we actually saw Nolan a lot uh, in his underage year because we had Provorov and Brandon there playing with him. So just uh, you know me being there and Chris Pryor and our scouts, you know, keeping an eye on on Ivan, uh, we ran into into him a lot, and it's funny because you're sitting there. Uh, two seasons ago thinking, geez, some team's going to be pretty lucky getting this guy. Uh, having no idea it was going to be us. So we feel very fortunate. Obviously, the lottery um, was was uh, um, a huge break for us. And hopefully in a few years, we're looking at this as a, as a big uh, – uh, uh, big acquisition in the history of this franchise. Yeah, you mentioned yeah, you're there to watch Ivan Provorov, but he's one of those guys that'll jump off the page a little bit. You guys decide to make a trade uh, in the draft, and you end up back in the first round. This is something that's not foreign to you guys. You did it a couple of years ago when you moved back into the first round and ended up sec- uh, selecting Travis Konechny in that same draft where you took Provorov. You do it again. This time you get another center, Mar- Morgan Frost. What can you tell us about Morgan Frost? Comes from the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds and uh, a guy that uh, certainly uh, is, is a big body as well. Yeah, Morgan's he's an extremely intelligent player. That was the first thing that our guys liked about him, but he he distributes the puck really well, reads the ice really well. Um he's good in his own end, he's got speed. Uh you know, certainly in terms of the body, he's got work to do there. He's a he's a young he's a young um 18-year-old uh, again. There's lots of work to do on the body, but we're real excited about uh, the upside uh, with Morgan moving forward here. Yeah, you said he is young. He just uh, turned 18 on May 14th of this year, uh, and and he's a guy that comes uh, via trade. Uh, the, the ability to pick him, you end up moving Braden Shen onto the St. Louis Blues. You get Yuri Laterra uh, in return along with that draft pick and, and a future number one. Uh, the the chance to trade Braden Shen maybe something you guys weren't looking for. Uh, what was it that made this deal? Uh, one that you you felt like you had to make. Yeah, there's certain times where teams come at you and they chase your player, so to speak, and that was the case here. We certainly weren't looking to trade Braden, but obviously if it's something there that makes sense for our future, um, we do it. Yori's a good player. Um, he's a solid two-way player. He's got some flexibility to his game in terms of playing the wing, playing the middle. Um, solid two-way guy. And then adding two, two first-rounders, we our guys really like the draft next year, so it was attractive to get a, a first-round pick in the 18 draft. Um, and 27, uh, we really liked the small group of players that we had there, so we felt like this was a deal that at the time was just hard to go by. In the second round, you guys take Isaac Rat- Ratcliffe uh, in the second round, the 35th overall in this uh, draft. Another uh, a big kid, 6'5", 6'6", player, 
uh, over 200 pounds already, even at his young age. Uh, it seems like you guys really kind of focused on some size in this draft. You had a little bit of a smaller team last year. Uh, you're looking for some size up the middle. Is that uh, kind of what you guys are trying to build, how the DNA of this franchise? Well, we ch- we chased Isaac. He's a guy that we actually talked long and hard about at 27 there. Um, and when we had the, the opportunity to go after him in the second round there, we jumped on it. Certain players that you really covet, and, you know, we paid a, a pretty good price for, for Isaac, but we in the organizational need, we've, we needed size, we needed left wingers, and we felt like we got both uh, with Isaac. Uh, he can score goals. He goes to the net hard. Um, again, he's a big body. As you mentioned, he's 200 pounds now and probably going to be in the 225 range when when uh, it all settles out in three or four years. So he was a type of player, and again, just given the positional need that our organization has, it's a guy that we chased. Let me just hit you on two more dra- uh, players that you drafted. In the third round, you draft another goaltender out of Russia, Kirill Ustamenko. Uh, you've been on the record before as saying that you know, you're going to take a goalie pretty much in every draft. It's a, a position where you cannot have enough depth. Uh, what did you see out of this goaltender? and uh, how about his development and where he'll be playing coming up here in the the near future? Yeah, he's going to stay over in uh, St. Petersburg. Um, This is a kid that we felt would go late second round. He was a little bit under the radar most of the year. He came on towards the end uh, at the under-18 World Championships. Um, but our guys were on him at the start of the year, liked him the whole year. So we felt like we had, you know, the whole year of information on him where uh, he kind of came out towards the end of the year uh, to the hockey world. So he's a guy, like I told our guys, we're not going to chase a goalie this year because we have goalies. But if there's somebody there that we really like at a certain spot, then we'll take him. And that was the case here with uh, Carroll. And the last draft pick I want to ask you about is Matthew Strom. You end up getting him 106th overall in the fourth round. Uh, obviously, good. Bloodlines, two brothers uh, drafted into the NHL and both drafted pretty high. Uh, the book on Matthew Strom is he needs to improve his skating, very similar to his brothers, something you can work on, though. Uh, but this is a hockey player with a really good hockey IQ and could really pay dividends, uh, considering where you got him in the fourth round especially. Yeah, he, we really liked him where we got him. Matthew, he is a he's a good hockey player. He he can score goals. He can make plays. He sees the ice. He reads the game well. He's a good net front presence. He does all the the little things that you like a player to do. He works extremely hard. Um, the one area, as you mentioned, is skating. It does need to improve. It's going to be a focus for for Matthew. We've already talked about it coming in development camp here uh, in a week or so, and uh, that's going to be the focus. So um, he does have you know obviously good bloodlines and and again I said this is a kid that we believe is willing to put the work in and a lot of kids you say well he's got to work on this he's got to work on that he's got to work on this and Matthew really his focus is going to be singularly the the, the skating part uh, the rest of his game is pretty well rounded at this time so Grabman in the fourth round I actually talked to one of the other GMs yesterday and they picked shortly after us and he said we were disappointed we were hoping to get him with our pick but obviously uh, surprised I think that he that he fell as far as he did but again when you have a, a skating flaw like that it, it does make you drop and uh, now it's up to Matthew to, to 
work at it and improve it. And now that you're clear of the uh, the NHL draft, and we're talking with Flyers general manager Ron Hextall, you're clear of the draft, you're clear of the expansion draft. Now the focus for you guys becomes free agency, which begins this weekend on July 1st. Uh, when you look at free agency, you don't have a tremendous amount of money to, uh, to spend on free agency, but you do have some things you want to accomplish. Uh, looking at your goalie situation heading in right now, it looks like Michael Neuvert, who was not claimed by the Las Vegas Golden Knights, and Anthony Stolarz is kind of your pecking order now. I know you've been on the record that you like to go out and find somebody. Uh, is free agency the most likely route for that, or are you still considering trade options? I would say at this point, probably free agency is the most likely route, so we're going to try and try and fill the hole uh, July 1st. And as I mentioned the other day, Mace is still an option here for us. Um, so we'll see how things shake out on July 1st. Are you surprised by the, the, the goalie market right now, kind of the way it's shaken out here in this offseason? Um, yeah, we it's such an important like, position, yet it's, it seems like a, a soft market. Well, I don't know if it's a soft market. There's actually a few goalies out there that are that are pretty good goalies. So there's there's a few too many goalies for the number of spots. So we're in a good position here, and we're going to get someone that we're certainly going to be comfortable with moving forward here. Yeah, and organizational depth at that position is something that you've really built up in your tenure here as general manager. Uh, when you look at Ron, uh, you look at the, the team coming as uh, as you'll get out of uh, this offseason, get closer to camp and development camp and those kind of things. A lot of people mention the name Oscar Lindblom. What did you see out of him last year and the progression of his game, and especially when he came over late in the year to, to join the Phantoms? Well, he came over He came over a year ago to join the Phantoms. He was still playing this year um, over in Sweden, but Oscar had a really good year. Um, he's gotten bigger. He's gotten stronger. His skating has, has gotten better, um, and overall, his game has really matured. He's a, he's a good two-way player um, who makes plays. Um, scores goals and he played in the Swedish Elite League and that's a really good league it's it's probably just a hair under the American League so when you look at it you say okay this kid played in a pro league with men um, which you know gives them a little leg up on certainly someone coming out of junior college so we certainly look for big things uh, in the future with Oscar whether it's this year or not uh, he's going to have to answer in September October uh, we're talking about uh, some of the players coming into this year this offseason you extend uh, the, the contract of Shane Goss despair. Uh, he's coming now to, into his third NHL season. Did find himself in the press box a few times last year. Seemed to learn from it and really pick up his game in the second half. Are you expecting to see a more uh, a game reminiscent of his rookie year with a little bit more consistency here as he heads, heads into year three? Yes, that's exactly. Like we, we, we know what we have here in Shane and Shane works hard. He's a great kid and everything else. I think the uh, a lot hit him that first year in a short period of time and last year things didn't quite go as well and I think the first year was great and everything but I think last year Shane uh, learned a lot of lessons and they're going to help him be a better certainly be a better player in the future here. You're losing a few players uh, whether uh, through free agency or whatever it might be uh, this offseason so you do have some holes uh, to fill on your defensive blue line and certainly an area where you guys are stocked you got to look at a couple of guys last year in Sam Moran and Robert Hag. Uh, Sandheim's obviously a guy that a lot of people are very intrigued by with his uh, skill set that he possesses. Uh, can you, how many can, of these guys can you envisioning making the big club? And where's kind of the tipping point where bringing young players up, uh, you kind of want, want to go to a number where you, you, you don't want to have too much youth up there because a lot of mistakes can happen. 
Well, you don't want to have too much youth, but don't forget a lot of these guys have played in the American League. So this isn't like you're going to bring two or three young defensemen up from junior slash college and put them right in the National Hockey League. That's very dangerous. The, you know, you look at Robert Hag, he's played three years in American League. Big Sam's played two years in American League. Uh, Sanheim's played one year in American League. So these kids are going to get a shot to play on the team, and they're going to answer the questions for us. But uh, we're, we're not we're not hesitant, again, to put young players in if they're mature players and ready to play at the National Hockey League level. That's the whole idea of, of keeping them in the American League for a period of time until they're ready to make to be a good player at the National League, not, not just to be able to hang on and, and play as a sixth or seventh defenseman and play 10 or 12 minutes and not develop like they should. So we're hoping a couple of these kids are ready and you know we might possibly look at covering ourselves with a tryout here on defense. We'll have to see as things get closer to camp here. Well, it's certainly getting uh, getting to be that time of year, Ron, when uh, free agency strikes and then uh, you're not far off from uh, getting on the ice here for training camp and getting ready for another season. And uh, we certainly appreciate the time today. Good luck with this offseason and free agency, and we're looking forward to another season. Okay, thank you. It's been a pleasure. On the line with us right now, Stick to Hockey Podcast. Uh, we're proud to bring in former Flyer goaltender and the man who still holds the record for the longest shutout streak in the NHL, Mr. Brian Boucher. Boucher, how are you? I'm doing well, Jason. How you doing? Congrats on the podcast. I see it's a big hit amongst hockey fans in the Philly area. So congrats to you on this, and thanks for having me on. Well, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun doing it so far. The, fun to stretch the legs a little bit and really get into some, some geeky hockey talk. And, you know, the people are enjoying it, and we appreciate you taking a few minutes today. And I figured no better time now that Boosh than to get you on to talk about a goaltender. The Flyers just signed one, Brian Elliott. He'll be the new goalie for the Philadelphia Flyers on a two-year deal. Very palatable uh, cap hit for the Flyers. Uh, be a 1A, 1B situation with Michael Neuvert. What do you think of the signing of uh, Brian Elliott as the Flyers' new netminder? I, I think it's a good signing. Uh, I got a lot of respect for Brian Elliott. I really do. I, I think he's a guy that, like, you know, you look at – his track record was a uh, was a guy that had to earn his stripes and earn his playing time in college at Wisconsin. Uh, was a late pick, I, think, I believe, a ninth rounder. They don't even have nine rounds anymore in the NHL draft, and, and had to work his way through the American League and eventually bounced around in a few teams. And has really, uh, you know, got himself to be a really good pro and a real dependable guy. And I, I know it's not probably a sign that Flyer fans are. Uh, really excited about in the sense that it's not a big-name guy uh, that you're bringing in. But uh, I think for what the Flyers are looking for and where they're at in their timeline as far as their development of their young guys, I think this is a good signing. This is a guy who's at 32 years old I still think has some good hockey left in him. Uh, I I don't think he's a a clear-cut number one, and I think he struggles at times. I think that was maybe a little bit of a struggle for him last year in Calgary, especially early on, the adjustment of going to a new team and maybe feeling the pressure of being that number one guy when he really was a 1A, 1B type of guy in St. Louis. Uh, I think he struggled with that. But if you look at the way he played from, I want to say, mid to late January and on, I mean, this guy really did play some good hockey for the Calgary Flames. And although he didn't play very well in that series against Anaheim, uh, he did play some good hockey for him. And I'm confident that under a good structured system, uh, he can be a real reliable guy. And I think in a platoon system with Neuvert and him, uh, they can provide some solid goaltending for the Flyers this year and, and win them some hockey games. 
Uh, Bush, what is the, you know, when you go to a new team and you just referenced that he went to Calgary last year, there is an adjustment for a goaltender as well. A lot of people think it's just, hey, you stand there in the crease in the blue paint, you stop pucks. It's real simple. But reading off your defense, reading the new system and dealing with those things is a lot more difficult than maybe people understand. How long of an adjustment period is it for a goaltender generally when he changes teams in a new system with new defensemen? It can take a while, Jason. I mean, sometimes, you know, you just go to a place and you don't feel comfortable at all. Uh, you don't feel comfortable. Uh, it could be the fact that, you're, you know, you're not comfortable off the ice. Maybe maybe uh, the adjustment to uh, home life is not all that good for you, and that can affect the way you play on the ice. And I, I don't think fans really understand that or appreciate that. A lot of these guys have young families, and uh, the adjustment for the families it can be difficult. Um, so, you know, that's one aspect of it. You know, then the other aspect is, you know, the way a team plays and the style of play that they have. And although I don't claim to be an expert on, on the system that Calgary played last year, uh, the one thing I do know is that the St. Louis Blues and under Ken Hitchcock, they played a pretty airtight defense. And uh, I think for Brian Elliott, that was a system that he thrived under. And I think maybe going to a new place with new uh, new teammates, new system, new city, uh, it was a tough adjustment for him at the start. And, and the other part that I really feel may have been the, the, the biggest factor in all of it was that they were expecting Brian Elliott to come in and be their number one guy in Calgary because they had some brutal goaltending the year before. And I think for Brian Elliott, that's not him. He's not a guy that's going to come in and play 65 games like a Henrik Lundqvist or a Terry Price. He's more of a guy that's going to get you 50, 50 games max, I think. He's got to be a guy that you know can, can carry the load for three weeks, but he also needs a breather. And I think that's where he's most... Uh, uh, you know, most effective. And I think in Philadelphia with a guy like Neuvert, if he can stay healthy, uh, both of these guys can give you quality starts. And maybe you only run a guy out there, you know, maximum three, four games in a row, and then the next guy plays. And in a system like that where guys know what's coming ahead of them, uh, guys like that. And they know that, okay, I, you know, I buckle down for three, four games, and then I'll get a breather. Maybe I sit for two. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to gripe about it. It is what it is. And we just make the best of it. And I think in this situation, this could be a nice little setup for the Flyers if they both can stay healthy and do their jobs over the next couple seasons. Yeah, and obviously know your role. Uh, you alluded to that. Uh, his best save percentage year was back in 11-12. His first year with the Blues rated a 940 save percentage. That's pretty gaudy. Uh, last year, a 910 in Calgary and also had a 930 in his last year in St. Louis in 49 games. Uh, speaking of Michael Neuvert, he's a guy that uh, obviously has had a hard time staying healthy, but when he's playing at the peak of his game, he's, uh, he, he's a very good netminder in your opinion, right? He is. He's fun to watch. I think he's athletic. Uh, he's not the biggest of guys. When you look at today's NHL goalies, a lot of them, uh, you know, have this size that you just can't, you know, you can't imagine in this athleticism that they play with. Uh, then you have the technical side of it that, you know, makes them very difficult to beat. I think Neuvert is not the biggest of guys, but he, he reads the game well. I think he's got tremendous athleticism uh, in the net. Uh, and when he's healthy, he battles to find pucks. Uh, I think he's one of those guys that when he starts to get on a roll and his confidence is, is, is high, he can be a guy that can carry the ball for, for a little bit. Uh, I don't think he's one of those guys that can carry it for 65 games like some of those other guys. I don't put him in that category. But, uh, you know, look, I mean, if you're look, you know, you, you know, you look at other goaltenders around the league, do you want to eat up, you know, your cap number with a, you know, a 13 to 15% of your salary cap and pay a guy, an incredible amount of money and hope that he stays healthy and plays a lot of games for you? Or do you want to have a system where maybe you're paying guys, you know, anywhere from, 
you know, four to four and a half million between the two, and they can give you both quality starts both ways. So it's all in the philosophy that you may have as an organization. Personally, uh, I like both systems. Depends on which goal you're talking about as far as being a bona fide number one. But I also like the platoon system. I don't buy into the, to the notion that teams can't win with a platoon system. You look around the National Hockey League, there's a bunch of guys that are, you know, high-end NHL starters that have never won a Stanley Cup. Carey Price, Henrik Lundqvist, these are the two names that really stand out as the two best goaltenders in the National Hockey League that probably uh, carry the biggest cap hits, and they've not won anything. So uh, I think at times you have to just find the guy that really fits well in your system. Uh, and if you have to do it in a platoon role, I think it can be. I think it be. A, it can be a system that can work for a team. Uh, obviously, it's a team game. You need not just the goaltenders to play well. You need the whole team to play well. And I think for the Flyers, they've got a nice little tandem setting up for the next couple of years. And this certainly tees up. We're talking with Brian Boucher. This certainly tees up uh, the bridge really to either Carter Hart or Felix Sandstrom. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that's what I believe. I mean, I think. Uh, you know, the Flyers are still three years away from really being a legitimate uh, contender, uh, in my opinion. It, it, look, I'm not, not to say that they can't be a team that gets to the playoffs and, and makes a few runs. And yeah, you were off. part of one of those runs. <laughs> right. Unexpected, yeah, it, right? Yeah, and it, and it can happen. So it's not like something that I'm saying that, they, you know, that's not what the Flyers are looking for. I'm just saying realistically, uh, you know, you're looking a couple years down the road. Like, and I look inside into their division. I mean, the Washington Capitals had to dismantle a bit here after really trying to go for it. So, you know, Ovechkin's getting a little bit longer in the tooth. They've not won anything. You wonder how much longer that they continue to be competitive uh, with the structure that they have. You look at the Pittsburgh Penguins. As long as they've got Crosby and Malkin that are healthy, they're going to be a formidable opponent in that division, and they're going to be tough to beat. So I'm looking, I'm waiting for them to get a little bit longer in the tooth and maybe hit the downslope of their career where maybe now the Flyers could be on the upswing, and that's when there's a change of the guard inside that metropolitan division. Uh, and then, you know, the wild card in all of it is a team like Columbus, and, you know, they're a team that seems to be a young, exciting team to watch. They've got a good goaltender in Bobrovsky if he can stay healthy. They're going to be a team to worry about inside that division. But the Flyers, who have been building now for a couple of years, building prospects, building through the draft, doing it the right way, being patient with their young players. They've got a couple of good young goalie prospects down the pipeline that could eventually be their goaltenders of the future. But for now, they've got to find a way to be competitive in these next couple of years with some of these young guys coming up, like your Nolan Patrick's and some of their defensemen and prospects, so that these next couple of years are not you know, uh, life in purgatory for the fans of, of Philadelphia. Uh, I've been very vocal about Anthony Stolarz obviously not being the guy. Obviously, the general manager seems to feel that way as well, going out to sign a guy like Brian Elliott and not comfortable with using him as a backup. Uh, maybe it's more the non-use of Anthony Stolarz that's telling than anything. Uh, why has he kind of not developed uh, to be that guy at this point in his career? Well, the biggest thing for me, Jason, is when you're a young guy, you need to play, and you need to play a lot. And if you're going to be trained to be a number one goaltender – then you, you better be a number one goaltender at the American Hockey League level. You better be a number one goaltender at the junior level. Uh, and then eventually you just translate into being a number one goaltender at the National Hockey League level. I think one of the one of the things that concerns me about Stolarz is over his time with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms is he really has not been uh, the number one go-to guy on a nightly basis. And last year it was, you know, I think he's had a little bit of injury concerns last year, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, but he did get called up. 
to the Flyers for a good month, I think it was, yep. or maybe longer. And they rode Mason pretty much. They, and they, and they yeah. Exactly. They, they rode Mason, did not play, and that, to me, was valuable time in the development of Anthony Stolarz. And although that may have been good for his pocketbook, uh, and as far as, you know, getting NHL money, which is great, maybe, you know, feeding uh, the ego part of it that, you know, I'm in the NHL, he really didn't play during that time. And as a goaltender, and I can tell you, speaking from experience, uh, there were times in my career at the American League level, either I was injured or was not the starter when I probably needed to be the starter, that I think eventually stunted my growth at the National Hockey League level. And it, and it basically trained me to be a number two goaltender at the NHL level. And if the Flyers are looking for him to be a number one guy, he's really going to have to take a major, major step this year in his development by being down in the Myers. And that's why I think signing a guy like Brian Elliott is a good thing. I don't think they've given up on Anthony Stolarz, but I think it's time for Anthony Stolarz to really take that next step at the American League level and show the organization that he is a bona fide uh, prospect for them. If not, I mean, uh, you know, you, you kind of turn the page and you're looking for the guys on down the road and guys like Hart and Sandstrom uh, and maybe Stolarz ends up becoming uh, more of a, a trade ship down the road. But the time will tell, and we'll have to see how it plays out. But I can tell you one thing, competition is a great thing uh, at this position, and we'll have to see who, who rises to the top in the Flyers organization. Hey, real quick, I'll edit this out. Do you have a couple more minutes real quick? Yeah, 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 we're good. Okay. Um, since it, Let me bounce a few things around the league off you. Carey Price signs a big deal in uh, Montreal. It was a fait accompli. They had to sign Carey Price. Eight years, Boosh, at uh, an exorbitant amount of money. At his age, he's already dealt with some injuries. How long does this contract really pay dividends? And th- Do they think that they're in a window right now where they can win it by, based on the moves they're making in Montreal? Oh, I mean, I got to hope that they're hoping that they're going to win fairly soon. But the concerns that I have for Montreal immediately are down the middle for them. I mean, when you have a guy like Philip Deneau is your number one center, uh, you've got some you've got some issues in Montreal. Uh, They they've got some they've got some needs that need to be addressed there. And to me, it's at the center ice position. Uh, You could talk about you know defense, and you could talk about goaltending, but if you don't have the, the the centers to go along with it. Uh, you look at Pittsburgh, you got Crosby and you got Malkin, and then they had Benito. They had three legit centers that really helped them win these Stanley Cups over the last two years. If you don't have it, you don't have a chance. I don't care how good Carey Price is going to be, but for Bergevin, it's something that he had to do. I mean, you, you, there's no way that you let Carey Price inch even closer to that UFA year uh, and, and run the risk of losing him. And I think he had to do it. Carey Price held all the, um, held all the leverage in this case. And you just hope that you roll the dice that this guy and the injuries that he has had in the past don't rear its ugly head down the road. But I will tell you that when you start to get to 35 years old in the National Hockey League as a goaltender today with the, with the speed of the game, the skill of the game, it is very difficult to be at the top of your game. We're watching Henrik Lundqvist right now, and we're starting to start seeing him uh, play on the back nine of his career. This is not the same Henrik Lundqvist that we saw uh, three, four, five years ago. This is a guy that uh, gets tired. Uh, this is a guy that's wearing down, and I suspect that down the road that'll be something that Montreal is going to have to deal with. But for now, I'm sure they're hoping that they can stock that lineup up and, and really make a run at it while not only Carey Price is young, but Shea Weber's in that in that sweet spot, too. Yeah, you're right. Uh, we're talking about Brian Boucher. Uh, can you explain to me the Patrick Marlowe signing in uh, Toronto? I know, I know the thought process to to put a scoring winger with with Austin Matthews who's a veteran but 3 years at, at that money seems a bit uh ill advised to me. Yeah, I mean, you've seen him a lot of him because you did a lot of their yeah, playoff I, run, yeah. I, I, 
I'm, I'm a fan of Patrick Marlowe. I played with him. I played against him in junior. Um, he's a guy that, I mean, if you look at, take a look at his numbers in the last, I think it's four, five, six years. I don't think he's missed a game, Jason, in all, in all that time. And he's played 82, 82, 82, and I think one year was a 48 because of a, a lockout shortened season. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that is extremely durable, and the bottom line is he can still skate. He really can keep up still, and he's got some finish in him. Uh, I think 27 goals last year, maybe 25 the year prior. Uh, he goes hot and cold some years, but I think he's a guy who takes extreme, extreme good care of himself uh, off the ice. Uh, he's a quality guy, as far as I'm concerned. I know there's been some, you know, uh, talk about, you know, whether or not he's a, he's a good leader, this, that, or the other thing. But the bottom line is he takes care of himself. He's a good family man. I think he's a good role model for some of those young guys in Toronto, and I think they need some of that veteran presence on their club. And then on the flip side of it, for Patrick Marlowe, I think a change of scenery is good for him. I mean, he's been in San Jose his whole career. He met his wife there. They started their family, and that's all fine and dandy. He's going to make San Jose his home eventually when he's done playing. But sometimes you need a jolt to your system as a player and no better jolt than to go to the hockey mecca of the world in Toronto. So for him, I think it's going to be a great uh, change of pace for him, for his family. Uh, and I think for the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're, they're getting a, a quality veteran that can still skate and still play. Uh, I agree maybe that the, the number's a little bit high, but sometimes you just have to pay for a guy that you feel can help you in the locker room. I think this is a good young team, the Maple Leafs team. They're a team that scares me. I thought they made significant strides last year. Matthews was better than I ever expected that he would be. Uh, and I think I think Marlowe's going to help. But uh, some people think it's a little bit too much, a little bit too much term, a little bit too much money. I tend to think that it's going to help the Leafs. Any interest for the Flyers to add a guy like uh, Shane Doan, 40 years old, Jeremy Yager, or Jerome McGinley, veteran guy, to, to add into this mix? You look at a guy like Doan, he spent his entire career in Arizona. You played there with him. He's been there that long. <laughs> any interest yeah. uh, in, in any of these three guys? Uh, I, I played with Doan and I played with Aginla. I love both those guys. They're quality people. I don't think the Flyers should be looking in that direction right now. I've not played. I miss Jaromir Yager here in Philadelphia, and I know that guys spoke very highly of him, but I'm just of the mindset right now that I'm about young, I'm about speed, I'm about playing the game fast, and I don't think any of those three guys accomplish any of that uh, for any hockey club. Yeah. I, you know, the, the Florida Panthers, I, I get why they had uh, Yager before, but now, I mean, they they, they got to get, you know, Barkov and those guys playing with pace and Huberto playing with pace. They don't need to be slowing the game down. And for a guy like Doan and Aginla, there might be fits for them around the National Hockey League. I don't know if the Flyers really want to go down that road. I want to see young guys that have been spending their time in Lehigh Valley, you know, guys like a Taylor Lear, get an opportunity to play at the National Hockey League level. Give them a sniff, you know what I mean? Give them a chance to go out there and prove themselves. This is not a team that's winning a Stanley Cup next year, so I want to see these guys make the, the, the next step in their development. I'm not saying hand the job to them make them earn it, but uh, I don't want to see a logjam of veteran guys that stops these guys from getting up here and, and getting some valuable experience, because I, I really truly feel the Flyers in three or four years, that's when this team is going to start to be the team in the Metropolitan Division that you're talking about. When guys like Crosby and Malkin start getting older, and uh, guys like Patrick and some of these young defensemen are really starting to hit their prime. Last question for you. We're talking with Brian Boucher here on the Stick to Hockey podcast. Let's talk about a couple of the young defensemen. Had Ron Hextall on last week, and he talked about three in particular, Sam Moran, Hag, and also Travis Sanheim, all three guys maybe with the possibility of making this club. Talk about first uh, playing with young defensemen in front of you from a goaltender's perspective, and then 
and uh, kind of how you see a guy like Sam Moran translating into the uh, in the NHL level. Obviously, a big guy, uh, but can, is he going to be able to turn those hips, if you will, when he's got a Tyler Johnson coming down the wing on him? Yeah, that's going to be a, a big challenge for him. He's a big body. Uh, I, I think Moran's more of a guy. Uh, that'll probably be suited for a five-six role uh, in your lineup. I, I, I suspect. I mean, if we're looking, we're talking about mobile defense and and guys that can get the puck moving north and create offense and but play well defensively. Uh, you know, that's that's more reserved for your top four guys. But I think a guy like Moran, if he can play with that edge, if you know he's got a long reach, he's got a big body. Uh, I think there's room for him in the National Hockey League. I, I think for him, you know, he was a high pick. And typically guys that are high picks, you know, they start thinking in their head that they got to get to the National Hockey League yesterday, you know, and they, and they grow impatient and they start to feel like, oh, geez, other guys are getting called up. I'm not getting my, my call up. And they start, you know, trying to do a little bit too much. I think for a guy like Moran, if he can be uh, steady defensively, play nasty, get that puck on the stick of his forwards, you know what I mean, let them do their job, uh, then I think he could have himself a nice NHL career. And I'd like to see him up here with the Philadelphia Flyers because when you're a guy that's paid your dues in the minors and you're a draft pick, it's always good to come up and do it the right way. Uh, as far as those other young guys, I think Hag made significant strides last year yeah, in the great. High Valley. Uh, he, he was a plus player last year. I don't think he's going to be a, a wildly offensive guy at the NHL level. I think he's going to be just a steady guy. You know, you think of a guy like Jarmelson who played in Chicago, now mm-hmm. he's in Arizona. You think of a guy like that, just a good complement to, you know, some other defense and guys that you can really depend upon, make a good first pass, defend well. I think he's more of a guy like that. The guy that really intrigues me is Sanheim. I think this guy is a real offensive talent, a guy that really can get you out of your seat. And I know there's a lot of talk about Gosses there, but I feel like Sanheim down the road, he's a guy that could really be that guy. I don't necessarily know that he's NHL-ready uh, at the start of this year, but I think as time grows and he gets a little bit more experience at the American League level, he could be that call-up guy that eventually starts chipping away uh, at some NHL experience. But I think he's probably the most talented of all those three that could be you know, producing offense in a top-four role for the Flyers down the road. Yeah, he'll certainly be a guy that everybody's going to be fo- focusing on uh, come preseason and training camp and uh, looking at that skill set because you're right, it is pretty gaudy. Hey, Boosh, we appreciate you taking time. Great job uh, on the NHL and NBC. Continued success, and uh, we're going to talk to you up the road. We're going to be hitting you up a lot here because you're bringing the great knowledge, and we appreciate it. All right, Jason, thanks for having me. Have a great summer. Brian Elliott joins us. Brian, how are you today? I'm doing good. Uh, excited to uh, be part of, part of the new organization here. It's another chapter in, in your career. You've uh, you, you've had an interesting kind of journey. Uh, you know, drafted in the ninth round. They don't even have nine rounds in the draft anymore. You played at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, how has your journey been as as an NHL goaltender so far? You seem to have uh, had to kind of work for everything that you've gotten. Yeah. Um... Nothing's uh, come easy, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, being drafted in a round that doesn't exist anymore, I kind of take pride in that. Uh, you know, knowing that you know it's a long shot uh, to begin with, and you know, I just worked hard. I had four years at university to really, you know, you know, get stronger, get bigger, get faster, and, and really hone my game a little bit. And when I stepped out of there, uh, one of my first pro games was in the NHL, and um, you know, I really uh, I think that was a huge part of my development. And then. You know, through Ottawa, um, you know, having good early success, making the playoffs, um, and then uh, having like a, a down year, getting traded to Colorado, and uh, you know, having to sign a two-way with St. Louis the year after. But you know, coming back and making the All-Star game that year it was a big, big thing for me to kind of resurrect my career. And 
um, you know, now uh, five years in St. Louis, one year in Calgary, and now I'm in Philly. So, um, you know, it's it's been a journey, but, uh, you know, we're the type of people, uh, me and my family, that uh, we like to travel around, see new cities, uh, taste the food, uh, experience the culture. And, you know, uh, we love Philly every time I go there. Um, you know, I try to see as many sites as I can and, and uh, take in, you know, the downtown and uh, what it has to offer. So we're really excited to get there. Well, you're certainly going to get a little bit better weather, at least. Uh, not that the winters here aren't harsh, but in Calgary, they're really harsh. Uh, you, you mentioned that, you know, your first year in St. Louis, that's 2011-12. You end up with a 940 save percentage. That's pretty darn gaudy and a 156 goals against average. Uh, playing in that system, uh, was Ken Hitchcock the coach at that time? Uh, yeah, he came in after the first seven games. It was Davis came before, and then uh, Hitchcock came in. So uh, we changed, and we changed quick, and uh, went on pretty good run. Yeah, and, and playing on, on a Ken Hitchcock team, as you know, you're playing for, for so many years, uh, the defense is uh, such a, a highly uh, – something that he takes very seriously. So you end up in Calgary, you know, adjusting to a new team. How was that for you? Because a lot of people look at the goaltender position and they say, well, he's just there to stop pucks. But you guys – a goaltender's got to learn the way his defensemen work around him, how the system works, and how it can benefit him to play, uh, to play the game effectively and track pucks uh, the best way possible. How was that adjustment? going to Calgary uh, last year at the beginning of the season? Yeah, it was, it was a challenge. I think, um, you know, you're with guys for five straight years and you know how guys are going to play in different situations and, you know, what they're going to give you, what they're going to take away. And, you know, as a goalie, you're a product of your system. You, you have to uh, you have to work with it uh, and you can't just play your own game. you gotta, you got to know the style, know what's open, know your, your uh, weak points out there and you got to take them away. So, um, you know, we, we had to kind of work on that uh, communication a little bit. And, um, you know, we also had a, a kid uh, five days before the season. So that was a big change for wow. us, too. So, um, you know, trying to manage uh, being a new dad and the stresses of playing in, uh, you know, a Canadian city and, and you know, not having the best start. Uh, definitely it, it was tough. But, you know, once we figured it out, we went on a pretty good run and ended up making the playoffs uh, at the end of the year there. Yeah, and you certainly had the 10-game win streak for you guys late in the season, peaking at the right time, although it didn't all end great for you last year. You end up in 49 games. This is kind of, uh, as Ron Hextall has alluded to, kind of a 1A, 1B situation between you and Michael Neuvert. Uh, for you, uh, in your own mind's eye, what's the, what's the optimal amount of games you like to play? Uh, I mean, that's the... That's, I guess, the golden question. Uh, you know, I, I don't really know. Um, you know, you, you want to play as many as you can. Um, you know, you want to get in there and, and win every one possible. But, you know, it's it's a tough league. And, you know, travel travel gets hard. You have back-to-back games. And you need a couple guys to, to be in there to carry the team, to give guys confidence. And I know uh, Neuvirth is, is a really good goalie. Um, you know, and I think uh, if we work off each other, challenge each other, but, but work with each other as well, I think uh, – it's only benefits uh, the team in the end, and you know, hopefully, we can uh, take uh, take Philly to uh, the playoffs where we deserve to be. Talk about that relationship between uh, the two goaltenders, because it, it is something that a lot of people really maybe not look at, but uh, how you guys can help each other, push each other, and really help each other, uh, you know, kind of have great seasons in tandem. Uh, if you guys are on the same page and, and, and expectations are clear from either coaching or management, that can really be something beneficial to uh, to two goaltenders and really help a team out. Yeah, I think, I mean, it all goes back to how you practice, you know, and when, ever since you're little, 
you see the other kid at the other end of the ice and if he's stopping shots you want to stop more than he does and I think uh, that just creates good practice habits and you know uh, no goalie makes it to the NHL without wanting to to be the guy and be the rock and and play uh, you know as many games as they can but um, you know you, you definitely have to challenge each other and challenge yourself and um, you know I've always tried to thrive off those uh, situations and you know, I don't think this will be any different. Uh, we're talking with Brian Elliott. And Brian, uh, you're going to be coming into a situation here with the Flyers, as you alluded to. They didn't make the playoffs last year, 88 points, uh, seven points back of a playoff berth. Uh, although they were in the mix, a team with a 10-game win streak as well, uh, similar like you had in Calgary. You're going to have some young defensemen in front of you. Uh, there's going to be some guys coming into the NHL and getting their, maybe not first taste, but their first full-time taste here. Maybe guys like Sam Moran or, or, or Robert Hag or, or whoever that might be. Maybe Travis Sanheim. You also have uh, Shane Gostas Bear and Ivan Provorov. So when you have some young defense, uh, the, you know, communication is going to be a big key. Are you a guy that tends to talk a lot when you play? Um, yeah, I try to be a voice back there, try to direct a, a little more than, you know, maybe earlier on in my career, just because I think I'm more, uh, you know, um, just comfortable in my own shoes, knowing what I want them to do out there. So I try to do it as much as possible. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've played with a couple of young D-men in St. Louis that made huge strides in just, you know, even a half a season. So it'll be, uh, it'll be fun to play with some of the younger guys and see, you know how far they can take their game in a in a quick time. I mean, it's going to be uh, you know challenging for them, but uh, they, we do got some you know older guys on the back end to to help uh, you know pave that way a little bit. Uh, as a guy that's uh, played in this league for a while, you were in the Western Conference for the most part uh, since leaving Ottawa, so you didn't get to face the Flyers or see the Flyers a tremendous amount. Although you would see them on occasion, and obviously uh, being in the league, you know of uh, some of the star players on this team from Jake Voracek and Claude Giroux. What was your perception before signing here uh, of this team and kind of where they are in their progression right now? Um, you know, they're always a dangerous team, especially with those guys. I think. You know, the power play was so good that you didn't want to take any penalties. Um, you know, they're dangerous from kind of all the corners of the ice. And um, when you got a guy like, uh, you know, Simmons in front kind of just battling and putting pucks away uh, just at will, uh, you never wanted to get in trouble against those guys. So, um, you know, I think it, it's a, they're an aggressive team um, on the front end and the back end. And, you know, I think if when those aggressive, uh, I guess, genes kick in, and uh, everybody's flowing together. I think that's uh, that's where they get success, and and hopefully I can help out in that area too to you know make a save here and there, and then we can go on the offense. You've been in the league since 2007. Uh, how much has the position changed in that time, Brian? Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of new developments. Goalies are being coached more than ever. There's a lot of science actually to it now, and uh, just perfect positioning and those type of things. Uh, since 2007, really to now, a decade, how much has the position changed? And obviously, tracking the puck has become more difficult than ever with the traffic that, that teams tend to put around the blue paint. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you, you don't have that hooking and holding in front. Um, you know, you got uh, guys that you really can't, uh, they can't hold the guys and, and interfere with them. So, you know, the D-men are starting to play different, fronting a lot of pucks. Um, you know, every team plays a little differently, but for us, uh, we try to, you know, stay a step ahead of the curve. And, you know, how we play on our post is completely different uh, than when I came in the league. Um, so making those changes uh, kind of, during your career, uh, it's it's fun. It, you look at things in a, like you said, a scientific way, and, and try to break down. Okay, 
how much net am I covering here? Is it better this way? Can I load and push this further away? I mean, we could go on and on, but I'm, I'm pretty sure your listeners don't want to hear you know, a math lesson right now on angles. But No, but uh, you're right. You're playing percentages there. You'll leave a little bit of the porch open because that's a tough spot to hit if you're in a reverse VH situation if the puck's along the goal line. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's little things like that where you, you have to know you know, we call it box control, where your box is, where you're covering the net. And um, you have to know those things so you're comfortable where you're standing. And if you're guessing where the net is, then, you know, odds are they're going to score on you. So it's the little things. It's, it's you know, repetition to, to know where, where those angles are, where you are on your feet, and, and um, you know, what, uh, uh, what your D-men are going to do in front of you. That's, uh, that just adds to it. And, you know, all those numbers change, and you got to kind of do those calculations on the fly. And, you know, I'm not that smart of a guy. I just try to do the reputation, <laughs> repetition so that uh, the body just does it. My mind doesn't have to think. Yeah, you get that muscle memory to make sure that foot's just inside the pipe for the perfect push, right? You want that exactly. muscle memory there. Uh, the, now the most important question, Brian. This, this is what it all comes down to because one of the exciting things when you're a goaltender and you're changing teams and you're a guy that's flashy when it comes to gear, and I'm a gearhead when it comes to goaltending, I'm into mass. I'm into pad setups and everything. You've been a guy that has uh, pretty bold with your setups. Are you leaning a certain way yet? Are you going to go some? Are you going to go heavy orange? <laughs> um, I think it'll be a surprise for you, for everybody. I'm not going to go uh, full orange, that's for sure. But um, yeah, you don't want to look like the the, the sun kissed guy, right? <laughs> I do love that color. So um, you know, I went all red. At the start of the season last year, I liked it. I thought it looked really good. But, you know, when I switched to the white pads, I uh, had a lot more success. So I think I'm going to go more white and uh, a lot of orange and then a little black thrown in there for, uh, for effect. What do you do? What do you do mask-wise? You doing anything thematic uh, that you got in mind for that? Because the, um, the bucket's the, the ultimate uh, work of art for a goaltender. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoy that part of it. Uh, I'm working with uh, Dave Art out of Sweden and, you know, he's got a lot of good ideas, but I think I'm going to throw it a little retro uh, back to the old days a little bit and then uh, add some of my personal flair to it, too. So we'll see. I, I haven't seen the sketches yet. So I'm not the artist. I just kind of come up with a little bit of idea, and then uh, they put it to the mask. When you have a general manager, final question for you, and we're talking with Brian Elliott, when you have a general manager who played the game, and you know how Ron Hextall played the game, he played it with a bit of an edge, and talking to him, you would never kind of know that now. He's a pretty docile guy. Uh, but when you when you have conversations with him and knowing the way he played the game and the success he had in the league, that's got to be pretty exciting for a goalie, a guy who really kind of understands the mentality of that position. Yeah, I, I, I kind of came to know him right when I was becoming a goalie. I was a player until I was about 11, and then... Um, when I became a goalie, I was really watching Felix Poffin and like that 96, 97 year, I think they fought. And, um, you know, that was a huge thing for me. I was like, okay, well, you can be a goalie, but you can still mix it up a bit. So I made my decision to change full time. So having a guy like that uh, on your back end and in the brass a little bit, I think it helps, especially as a goalie to, to explain, you know, okay, it's not always the goalie's fault all the time, you know. Yeah, no doubt. Well, he certainly understands that. Brian, nothing but the best of luck for you here coming up this season. It'll be here before you know it. And uh, you're the newest Philadelphia Flyer, and we appreciate you taking a few minutes for us here today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to get there and uh, meet everybody. On the line with us right now, former Flyer, former Penguin, former Montreal Canadian, former Carolina Hurricane. All right, I'm not going to go through all of them. But on the line with us right now, a man who uh, played over 1,600 NHL games is now moving into the coaching ranks. Mark Recchi joins us. Mark, how are you today? 
I'm doing great, thanks. Well, first and foremost, congratulations. You're now uh, in the NHL coaching ranks. Uh, what went into that decision to get into coaching? Was it something you kind of envisioned uh, you doing uh, post your playing career? Yeah, actually, no, I didn't have any envision at all. It just kind of happened quick. Obviously, um, my great friend uh, Rick Tockett got the opportunity to be the head coach in Arizona and, um, you know, deservingly so. And, and uh, you know, he jumped on board there and, and there was an opening here and the, and the Penguins asked me uh, if I'd be interested in, in uh, you know, jumping in that. I was more on the management side, uh, you know, development side, player development and, and getting more into the management side. But, uh, you know, the, the more I thought about it, the more excited I got and, and uh, to work with Mike Sullivan and, and Sergey Gonchar and Jacques Martin, it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun for me. When you go into a situation that you're going into in Pittsburgh, back-to-back cups, obviously the best player in the world uh, over the last decade in Sidney Crosby, and obviously you have Genny Malkin, and you have some real co- great core players there, and uh, things have gone well over the last couple of seasons. Is it uh, sort of a, a daunting expectation to live up to when you're going into a team that's won back-to-back cups? Yeah, it is, but it's you know what this the, the drive that these players have is you know is incredible, and the leadership with Crosby and Malkin and Latang and, and and guys like that uh, to just name a few that you know their their leadership, they're competitive guys. They want to win they want to win all the time, and, and that's the reason why they've won three cups together. And and um, you know hopefully there's more in the future, but you know it's never going to be easy. It's a it's a long haul. It's a long year. It's a, you know a lot of things. You face a lot of adversity. So. I'm just going to come in and, and um, you know, uh, try and help as much as I can. And, and uh, you know, I kind of have a, I have a pretty good feel for our dressing room. So hopefully uh, it'll be a seamless fit. As a, as a guy who played against Crosby uh, and a guy who has played, you played with some of the best players that have ever uh, laced up the skates. Mario Lemieux, you played with Eric Lindros, obviously, and uh, played against and with a lot of the greatest players. What is it about Crosby that uh, has him at the top right now in the NHL and has for a decade of uh, being the best player? He's just... He's so good along the walls. He's such a skilled player and thinks the game so well. But in your mind, uh, kind of what is it about Crosby that just makes him so great? Well, it's, it's, you know, he, he's probably one of the, the most fit players in the league. Uh, he really, you know, he really pays attention to every detail uh, on and off the ice. He tries to get better. He doesn't, uh, he works on things every day. He goes out and goes out early, goes, stays on later. He's always working on stuff. And, and that type of thing is, uh, you know, you just can't, you know, that's, that's in Brett in him. He's, you know, he wants to be the best and he wants to continue to be the best. And, and uh, when you have that type of uh, competitive nature and, and that type of drive, it's, you know, it's you no know, wonder where he is right now. It's been quite the offseason for you. You're not, you're not only going to start your coaching career, but you also got the call from Lanny McDonald in the Hockey Hall of Fame. You're heading to uh, the promised land for all hockey players. You won cups. That's obviously the biggest thing you can do as a player, but as a legacy, uh, getting enshrined into the Hockey Hall of Fame is is pretty much the top of the mountain. What was that that moment like when you got the phone call and found out in your fourth year of eligibility that you'd be going to the Hockey Hall of Fame? I was actually shocked. I was, uh, you know, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, you know, you know, your name's out there, but I didn't know what to expect. And I didn't want to get over, you know, um, you know, thinking, I, you know, maybe this is the year I just wanted to, you know, hopefully got that call and, and, you know, just kind of wait and see. And I was very fortunate I did. And it was, uh, it was great to get it from Lanny. Lanny, uh, uh, great admiration for him. And it was great to get the call from him and, and, uh, you know, the other players and, that uh, I'm going in with. And I uh, can't tell you how excited I am and, you know, I look forward to that weekend in November.
when you started this journey back in junior, I think you had a year where you had like 154 points for Kamloops, uh, and then you end up in the NHL. You're a 5'10 guy. And let's face it, you're playing in the league at that time, Mark, where there's a lot of big guys that were using their bodies to make things very difficult for guys your size. Could you have envisioned that you would have a career that would uh, end up with 1,652 NHL games? No, absolutely not. I mean, I, I, I was hoping if I just to make it, number one, and number two, if I could get five or six years, that would have been incredible. But uh, to end up playing 22 years is, uh, you know, beyond my imagination and, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people's as well. So, When you look at the success of your career, you were a guy that was able to stay healthy. And like I alluded to, you know, your size, you weren't the biggest guy in the world, although, you know, very, very tough and a hard guy to move off the puck, great center of gravity. Uh, what was it that you took care of your body in a way that you managed to prevent the big injuries? Yeah, it, it, a lot of that's you know, obviously you got to be you got to be lucky to stay avoid those big ones. Um, you know, you got to be you know you got to take care of your body. You got to be in shape. Uh, conditioning was a big part of my uh, you know uh, my summers, and, and I wanted to make sure I was always ready and, and always in tip top shape and, and and getting the stuff that I needed to be done and, and um, you know and just stuff like that and good red wine too probably didn't help over the years, so it was good. The ultimate cure or elixir, if you will. Yeah. Uh, let's let's yeah. talk about your your ninety one ninety two season in Pittsburgh. You end up winning a cup there with Mario Lemieux. Uh, talk about playing with a player like Mario, who was just a, at that time with that size and that skill was just a freak of nature. Well, it's incredible. I mean that that like you said that size and and the skill level at that size is uh, is incredible. I mean he's a lot. I mean, he could absolutely fly too, and never. It, it didn't look like he was skating fast, but when you know you, you try and catch up to him, forget it. So, um, but his uh, his IQ obviously and his, his uh, you know he he you know he went through a lot as a player, but he you know always found a way to come back and be the top player and one of the top players in the world. And to get an opportunity to to, to play with him, play with them, was incredible, and then uh, play for him as well. So it was good. Yeah, and then you end up uh, working for him as the owner of the Penguins uh, as a coach there as well. A- after that season, you spend some time in Pittsburgh the next year, but you ultimately end up getting uh, traded to the Flyers, uh, the cross-state rival, if you will, and you had a lot of success here. Matter of fact, you had your best statistical NHL season as a member of the Flyers, and it's still the top uh, single-season scoring uh, record for this organization. Uh, you end up playing 84 games that year, 53 uh, goals, 70 assists, 123 points. You eclipsed the uh, century mark uh, a couple of more than a couple times in your career. Uh, was that a season where just everything kind of clicked for you, and uh, you know you had the right line mates, and things just kind of uh, were working out in the, in your best interest. Yeah, you know, it was yeah, definitely one of those years that just uh, you know, uh, like I said, I did have a few points over Hunter, but you know, I would just that was one of those years that just you know, obviously things went a little better than most most years, you know, and it was uh, you know, it was just one of those things where you know you gotta you gotta have great linemates, you gotta have good teammates, and and uh, you know along the way and and power play when you're when you're a top player, your power play's got to be good. So you know that was a key to it as well, and you know obviously you know I, I enjoyed my time in Philly and it was great. And, and uh, you know the one thing unfortunately is we didn't get to win a cup, but uh, you know we got to the conference finals twice, and lost in Game Sevens, which still uh, kind of hurts me now to this day. So. <laughs> Well, you always carry those. It's amazing, guys. Despite the fact that you've played 1,652 games, you could probably almost uh, tell us all those heartbreak moments and relive them in your own mind. Uh, what was it like playing with a guy like Lindros, especially when he was coming in so young? Well, it was great. I mean, it's, uh, I mean obviously he was, 
you know, he came in. I just tried to help him out the best I could. I knew he was, uh, you know, there was a lot of pressure on a young man like that. And, you know, I wanted to help him. I mean, uh, I, I couldn't imagine being under the spotlight like that. And, uh, you know, the pressure he would feel every day. And, you know, it was it was great to play with him. But, I, you know, I just wanted to try and help him out best I could on and off the ice and, and um, you know, help him ease through it. Because, like I said, the pressures of those top guys, the Marios, the Lindroses, the guys, you know, obviously Gretzky and that, they, they have that pressure every day of uh, they have to, you know, perform, you know, uh, on a daily basis. You're talking about some of the trades you're involved in. The names going back and forth are are enormous. You know, the trade from Pittsburgh was a, for Tockett with the Flyers. You end up getting traded to uh, the Montreal Canadiens. Eric Desjardins, obviously a part of that trade, was a longtime Flyers defenseman, a real good one. What was it like for you playing in Montreal? You're a Canadian kid. Uh, all the, You grew up in the, the British Columbia area, I believe, and you, but you end up playing for the Canadians, yeah. the most storied franchise in all of hockey. What was that like for you? Uh, it was an incredible experience. It really was. Uh... You know, I got to I got traded in the Steel in the old form, which was you know, which was amazing to go there and and uh, play a game there every night and not be your home locker room. And um, you know, I had a wonderful five years there and, and uh, loved every minute of it. It was a great experience. Um, you know, I got to go from the old form to the new to the new arena there, and um, you know, it was just uh, it's a special place to play. And it was uh, I really really enjoyed it. Lived right downtown and, and made the most of uh, living in the city. Yeah, absolutely. And oh five oh six, you end up in Carolina. Uh, you're kind of a, a late season rental, but you take that rental and you get all the way to the Cup final and you hoist the cup again. What was that like? Along with Rob Brindamore winning that cup in Carolina, a non traditional hockey market. Uh, you've been in some of the better markets, obviously in Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Montreal. You end up in Carolina and they go on a run. You win a cup. Does that second cup feel a little bit different than that first one did many years before? Well, it was 15 years before, so it, it felt pretty darn good. <laughs> yeah. You didn't know if you'd ever get back, right? Uh, yeah, no, no question. And, uh, you know, what an incredible feeling to win that and, and you know, be able to sit back and watch Rod Brindamore and, um, you know, you know, the guys that Glenn Wesley and, and a number of guys that hadn't had an opportunity to win one uh, to see how, you know, they were taking it all in and, and uh, I was able to sit back and watch him and really enjoy it. It was uh, it was such an incredible experience, and you know to get it to get it again was uh, after 15 years was, you know I was very uh, very thankful for that. You you get the storybook ending to your career. You've been playing the game a long time. Uh, you find yourself with the Bruins for your final three seasons, but in 2010 2011, well the Bruins go on a magical run of their own. Obviously, 2010 was the year the Flyers came back from being down that 0-3 deficit. First of all, talk about what the Game 7 pressure was like on, on the Bruins in that second-round series when the Flyers and Bruins uh, went to that Game 7. Um, well, you know what? We, actually, we didn't feel that. We actually felt pretty good about ourselves still. I mean, obviously, we had we had uh, we got a little bit banged up, and we lost Kretschy, which was a huge loss at that time for us. But um, you know, we didn't. Uh, you know, we we felt still felt good about what we were doing, and uh, you know, it was a heck of a game. And uh, you know, we came up a little bit short, but you know what? We learned a lot from it, and we learned a lot from uh, that experience. And it was pretty much the same team coming back the following year. Uh, there was a few trades during the season, but uh, you know it was uh, you know for the most part the core was still the same. Yeah, and you guys knew you had a job to do that next year. You get to the Cup final uh, against Vancouver, and you ride off into the sunset, hoisting the cup one last time. Uh, was there any debate in your mind whether that was the time to hang up the skates? Um, no, not at the time. There wasn't. Um, you know, it was obviously you know to to finish 
you know, obviously in British Columbia to, to play my last game, it, you know, back in my home province was was an incredible thing on top of, uh, you know, winning the Stanley Cup again. And, you know, not too many people to get to go out on top like that. And it's uh, it's an amazing feeling. And it was such a, such an honor to, to hoist it again and, and to, to do it there. And, and, you know, with the Boston Bruins, those guys, uh, you know, we faced a lot of adversity and we, we hung in there and we did a heck of a job. So. Yeah, it really is the perfect scenario. Uh, let me ask you two more quick questions. Uh, do you like where the game is right now? Yeah, I, I, I do like where it's at. I think it's fast. It's definitely fast. I think, uh, you know, I, I, I would, you know, I hope they get back to calling it a little tighter at some point. Um, you know, I thought the playoffs had got a little, you know, got a little bit crazy at times where they got away from, you know, um, you know, got away from when, you know, 2006, when they tried to change the game. So there's, you know, there's not a lot I'd change from the game, but just call what they've, uh, you know, call what they've, uh, t- you know, they've put in place and, and let the game, let the players uh, uh, be where they at. I mean, we've got an incredible, incredible young players coming into this game now that are, that are, they're, that are, you know, um, they're true superstars that are, you know, people should come and watch and we got to make sure that they can, they're able to do what they can do. Yeah, and you look at guys like uh, obviously Connor McDavid, and you look at what Austin Matthews did last year, forty in his rookie year. Well, it's become a young man's game, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it sure has, and it, you know, which is a good, it's just which is fine, you know. Like, uh, you know, there's still some old guys hanging on, and they're doing a great job if they're smart enough and they can skate well enough. You're still smart, you know. You can still hang on, so it's yeah. good. <laughs> well, hey, Mark, man, we appreciate the time. Good, best of luck coming up this season uh, in your new endeavor uh, as an assistant coach with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And really, congratulations from everybody here in Philadelphia on the Hockey Hall of Fame. It well-deserved. I mean, your numbers are eye-popping. You have 1,533 points in 1,652 games. Uh, deserved, and uh, we're going to be looking forward to the ceremony coming up, uh, I guess, in November. And who's going to induct you in? Who, who will do your introduction? Did you, did you figure that out yet? I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not sure yet. So, what about Bundy? Would he be a good, a good guy to do that for you? Yeah, Bundy, Bundy would always be a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be good for the comic relief, if nothing else. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Awesome. Hey, Mark, we appreciate the time, and uh, good luck coming up this season. Thanks very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. The Stick to Hockey podcast and Flyers Development Camp wrapping up uh, this week. And, of course, the the trial on the aisle always wraps it up, a three-on-three tournament uh, this week as well. And on the phone with us right now, senior writer at Center Ice Philly Magazine, Anthony Mingioni, joins us. And how you doing today, man? Doing great, Jace. How are you? Oh, man, it's been busy in the summertime. You're at the rink watching the prospects. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Uh, it's, been, it's been a pretty busy weekend, uh, needless to say, uh, with everything going on around uh, Flyers Developmental Camp. And, w- and one of the things, Anthony, you know this, one of the biggest areas of uh, that, that people want to hear about is this prospects group. Uh, it's been much talked about. It's the future of the team. It's the Ron Hextall way of building this team. Let's go through a few of the guys. I want to get your thoughts, what you saw out of these guys in development camp. And let's start out with a guy a lot of people believe – uh, we did, obviously didn't get to see Nolan Patrick because he had the surgery and still out. We would have loved to have seen him, but we didn't. But another guy that a lot of people believe can make this team, and I'm not talk, I'm not going to start in the defensive end. Let's talk about Oscar Lindblom. He had a great year last year in the Swedish Elite League. Came over, got a little taste in the AHL at the end uh, after his season was over. What did you see out of him in development camp? 
in many ways, he's, he, he's a man amongst boys. Uh, very, very strong. His skate, the biggest thing I noticed is how much his skating has improved since his draft year. He's, he's much fat, much, much swifter on his skates. Uh, his anticipatory angles are really good. His circles are really good. He's a hand, he's going to be a handful, uh, for, for NHL, even NHL level defensemen, in my opinion, coming into the season. Again, there's going to be some adapting being done. For him, uh, going for, obviously going playing against NHL defensemen, but um, I think he's got a really good chance of making the roster. We would, we spoke with him actually today. Obviously, the focus for him he's, he plays either side, right wing or left wing, but the focus last season was on the left wing, and that's exactly in the area where Philadelphia really uh, needs him uh, most notably. His shot is very heavy, very accurate. Uh, he's able to box off defenders, shield them off as he's carrying the puck. He's going to be really good, I think, in establishing beachheads in the opposing end, coming around the net. But most importantly, he's going to be able to plant himself in front and cause and cause disruptions, I think, uh, in front of the goal and being able potentially to deflect uh, shots home. Again, we're going to see how he's going to look against NHL-level defense here once we get to September. But um, my my impressions of Limblom is he looks like he's ready for the show. Is he a guy that's going to need to be a top six forward to to really kind of show what he can do? Is that is that kind of the role? If he makes this team, is he a top six forward for the Flyers? I could say top six, top nine. I could see him certainly playing on third line. Uh, it, it, but I would think second line is probably the area that they're going to probably look for him to to really take a role potentially going uh, into the season. Um, I, he, again, his size is something that they they really, really do need, especially after moving off Braden Shen uh, in the, on draft day. Uh, they need a sizable forward, I think, up front. And again, Limblom, his current – we were looking, obviously, in his current um, – weight and height he's definitely well over he's over 200 pounds now he's got a man, he's got a man's build at this point now he's over six foot probably six one six uh, six one or so 205 he's gonna be able to i think physically handle things uh at, at, up on the top six that they may start off with him playing on the third line left wing but if he starts able to really begin showing some offensive production he can very easily find himself uh playing left wing on that second line Anthony, one of the guys that we've been reading about is German Rupsov, who has uh, been rumored to have some of the flashiest hands, at least in terms of the moves. He's a fluid skater. What have you seen from him? And would you say that he's ahead of schedule or right on time in terms of his development? I would say more right on time. He's really strong. One of the things I noticed about him, he's got a again, his, his, his wrist shot's pretty heavy. Um, he was a little hesitant at certain times, and again, he is coming off uh, his, his wrist surgery, uh, you know, at the end of last season. But he's got a pretty strong backhand. His shot's pretty accurate. The one thing I noticed about him, he is a full up front. He really is in terms of you know his physical capabilities. He was physically engaging. Uh, along the boards, every time a guy had a puck at a puck at his feet, um, or or a defenseman had a puck at their feet, he would go right at them and try to strip the puck right off them and, and get physical as well. Um, I do think uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the decision is going to be on Rubsov. Again, the, the, he's one of those players right now we have to look at. He's a listed center. He's good on draws. But um, he did play left wing uh, for Chikutami in the Quebec League when he came over from the KHL last year um, and looked very good. But he played left wing primarily because Chikutami had him uh, playing with their best players. And they already had a center, I think, in Nicholas Waugh uh, up front. And they played all their best players on the top line. But he equally, he told us uh, on day one, 
on Friday that he he was switching back and forth between center and left wing. So he's one of those guys I think that could potentially fit in in either spot. I'd say probably another year or so. I know again he's. At six foot one eighty seven, I think that's an accurate size. I know there were some reports saying, "Oh, he seems smaller than he is." He plays bigger than than that, and he's got a good, strong frame. He's going to be a going to be a real pest to deal with for a lot of uh, for a lot of people. And again, adding to the fact that he's got you know a pretty good shot as well, accurate, and his backhand is I think something that's underrated as well. Anthony, let's let me let's talk about the defense because this mm-hmm. is the area where the cupboard is uh, rather stocked when it comes to Flyers prospects, and uh, we obviously know Sam Moran and Robert Hag not a camp, uh, but those are two guys that look ticketed for the NHL. So let's look at a guy who was there. Let's look at Travis Sanheim. This this player is very intriguing to a lot of people, and and rightfully so. He could end up being the best of the bunch. What have you seen out of Sanheim? Where's his progression from last year at development camp to now after playing that year with the Phantoms? in the AHL? The biggest thing I'm noticing about him is how efficient he is uh, in, in, his, in his skating in terms of he's just he's, he just covers a lot of range very quickly. Like, the phrase I like to use is he skates like a gazelle at times in terms of how he can just swoop in on defense uh, on uh, on opposing forwards in this case and blanket them. Um, he's physically engaging more. He's never going to be a big boomer. I don't think, but he's he's going to physically engage. The biggest thing you notice is again his passes are absolutely just on the money. He really he's become much more of a pinpoint passer. And again, he looks like a, in this this camp he looks like a man again a man among boys uh, as a phrase used for some of the players that have been here for a little while now. But today he had a shot today that was just earmarked to from ten feet out that you just don't give him time because if he gets to pick his spots, he's going to rip one right by guys. He's really, again, I, I thoroughly impressed with him. I, I, I would say he's, he, he may or may not start the season. I think he, he, his intention is he's going to try to make the team out of camp as expected. And he said that as well. I do think it's probably more likely uh, that he does need to put maybe a little bit more uh, strength on his frame. Although looking at him in the locker room today, he look, he, to me, he looks like an NHL defenseman in terms of his size. He's like he's muscular, but also rangy as well in terms of how he, his physical build is. So in my mind, he while he may not start the season potentially with the Flyers, I think he will probably at some point this year uh, have a cup of coffee with the team or even or be with them even longer than that at a certain point. Anthony, who disappointed you during developmental camp? Um, the player that I said that kind of was a little bit initially for the first few days, I didn't notice a lot of Nicholas Albay Cabell yet. Coincidentally, today he looked from he looked really good in the three on three tournaments. I didn't really notice him too too much. Um, goaltending wise, um, I would say it was Matej Tomek who. I think you know he he's missed a lot of he's missed a bit of time, but he had had, had some had some difficulties in terms of tracking the puck at times. That was probably one of the guys that I was a little bit uh, disappointed, and hoping to see a little bit more out of him, especially considering his situation. He's going to be going to Waterloo uh, in the USHL soon and having an opportunity to play again after being kind of you know in North Dakota where he would be basically fell as the backup and never basically never played. So for me, I was hoping to see potentially a little bit more out of him. Um, other players that, again, in terms of overall, in terms of saying potentially I didn't notice as much, Cooper Marodi, I was hoping to see a little bit more out of him uh, potentially. 
Uh, Vorobiev, I offensively was hoping to see more out of. That being said, he was I thought he was very good uh, defensively. Uh, the the uh, the Flyers' fourth round pick from a few years ago. He's got good size. But hoping to see. Uh, a little bit more from him uh, during camp. And again, in terms of the offense, defensively, I think he's very good defensively. And I think he could potentially be a good bottom six center for the Flyers. But again, this is the first time he's really being over to the States as well. Um, He's going to probably play with the Phantoms this year. Um, So again, game action will be one of the things I'll look at. Matthew Strome had good moments as well. But again, there's a lot of skating needs to improve there. Yeah. Yeah, he really does. In terms of, he's got a good, accurate shot, but he got stripped several times today during the three-on-three pucks at his feet. He wasn't particularly quick. He's definitely going to be, in my mind, a long, uh, more of a long-term project. Yeah, let's stay in the crease real quick. Let's look at Carter Hart and Felix Sandstrom. Obviously, uh, the Brian Elliott deal signals a bridge to one of these guys. What did you see out of Hart? What did you see out of Sandstrom? Uh, again, with Hart, again, he had a, it's tough sometimes to evaluate the goaltenders when you're playing a half ice the way they were in this tournament. And, uh, again, Hart got kind of hit uh, in one of the mid game in one of the early round robin games for like four four straight goals in very rapid order. That being said, Hart, the biggest thing that I noticed about Hart, and we spoke to him in the locker room today. Um, is the fact that he's working a lot on his um, his lateral movement, his post-to-post movement. If you're comparing him and Felix Sandstrom, Sandstrom's got tremendous athleticism. Anybody who watched him during the World Juniors this year saw that. Mm-hmm. Hart is not quite in the same category in the athleticism department, but he's a, he's a kid who's very, very bright. We, his interview with him today was just, again, you, didn't, you don't think you're talking to an 18-year-old. You're thinking he seems like a 28-year-old veteran. Um, I think Hart certainly is a guy that is going to be in the fight. He, 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 there was nothing about this, what happened today, that makes me think that he, his future isn't going to be bright for this organization. He had a tremendous year at Everett the last two seasons. He's going to go back to the WHL again. He's work, his glove hand's great. It's just a case of he's going to, as he becomes a pro, just try to work on getting better and better at his lateral movement more than anything. Yeah, I know they've been working a lot with uh, with Kim Dillabaugh and other uh, goaltending coaches on his post uh, his post uh, positioning and those type of things as well. And anybody that's going to really kind of blow our mind when we uh, get to the preseason, they get on the ice, and we're going to say, "Well, wow, look at that! Is it Morgan Frost, or is somebody going to really pop off the page at us here?" I think the player you got to keep an eye on when we get into September is a player that they don't even have that, that's technically not their uh, their property right now. I was very impressed with uh, 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 Ivan uh, Kosarenkov today. He had a tremendous goal during the uh, tournament today, where he know he basically looked off the goalie on one play and he he just was able to wire one. Um, I believe it was uh, Darian Hanson that he got to bite the wrong way, and it was just one of those goals where everybody in the arena just gasped. Yeah. Uh, and and he's one of those guys that if he gets to camp in September, and I, he should because I don't think there's anything that he did. It was a no look wrist shot, and it was just it was just tremendous. And also pretty good. He had a great feed to uh, defenseman Linus Holberg, who coincidentally was the guy who scored the uh, game-winning goal for the tournament today. Uh, another guy that you have to actually keep an eye on as well. He's going to be back over in Sweden again this year. But Holberg is another one who really had, had good jump today as well. Frost I was impressed with too. I, I will have to say that he started off a little slow on Friday, but again, good passes. He made a great pass, I believe, to uh, to lead today. Uh, that one of the, one of the uh, free um, invitees uh, that you really saw out of him 
um, some really smart playmaking. And we had a great, a great conversation with him the other day on the first day about, you know, who he models his game after. We're talking about Morgan Frost. He's, he, he models his game after Michael Granlin from the, from the Minnesota Wild. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty accurate because of the way, if anybody's ever watched Granlin, it's very, he's got sort of, he's thinking two steps ahead and is very quick on, and is very quick off the skates. So he, again, I don't know, I don't think Frost necessarily is going to make the team out of camp. But I think he's certainly within a year. He's got. He's still got to put some more. I think some more meat on his frame and grow a little bit before he makes the roster. Man, one of those. Some of those taller guys certainly got to do that. And we appreciate it. Check him out on Twitter, Anthony Mingioni, M I N G I O N I, senior writer at Center Ice Philly Magazine. We appreciate the knowledge, man. We'll be talking to you up the road. Thanks, Jason. Much appreciated.